Good morning, Doxa family. If you will, remain standing for the word of God. We're going to be reading this morning from John chapter 4, verse 43 through 54. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday. At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This has been the reading of God's word. Y'all may be seated. We're back in our series in the Gospel of John, and our series is entitled Seeing Jesus, because that was the aim of the apostle John as he, as he wrote this gospel, as he wrote this book. He, he wanted to show us Jesus because he had seen him firsthand. This is what he said at the beginning. He said, and the word became flesh, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, this is what he's saying, I am one of the ones that have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. He's saying this. He's saying, if you can see Jesus, you have seen God. If you want to see God, we get to see God in Jesus. And Jesus, because he is God, he shows us what God is like. And this is what John said was the result. When from him seeing Jesus, and can be the result from you seeing Jesus, he said, from his fullness have we all received, and grace upon grace. That could be a result for us when we see Jesus for who he is, to receive from his fullness and grace upon grace. And for the, the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at two of the miracles that Jesus performed. Now, these are only two of the many miracles that were recorded and only two of the many miracles that were, even, were not even recorded. John said there were so many things that Jesus did that he said, I don't believe that if there were enough all you took all the books in all the world could you fill up all that Jesus did there were times that he told us that when that 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 all the sick and all the diseased of a city or a village were brought to him and it tells us that he healed them all but we're not given accounts of all those individuals we're not told like what what were they healed from how long had it plagued them? What did it mean to them and to their family? So there's a reason. There's a reason that the accounts that we have, the miracles that are recorded, there's a reason that they are recorded. What do we do with them? How do we think about the miracles that Jesus performed? How are we to view them? Why were they chosen? 
Well, each miracle that's recorded of Jesus reveals some things about Jesus and it reveals some things about us. They show us about Jesus, they show his divinity. They show his power, his authority. Do you hear it in the story that we just read? A man came to him with a a son. We're going to get into a son on the point of death. And Jesus ends up healing him, not by having to perform any tricks, not trying to have to, to, to make any sort of compound. He didn't say any magic words. He didn't have to do any sort of major dance or anything. He just said, your son's healed. Go ahead. It showed a, a power and authority, not just that he was able to perform a miracle, but that he had a power and authority. He was divine. It shows, they also show us his mission and his motivation. What did Jesus come to do? What, what stirred his soul? Jesus tells us himself, he says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the good. I didn't come for the well. A physician doesn't come for, to those who are well. A physician comes to those who are sick. He came to those who need a savior because he's the savior of the world. That's his mission and his motivation to seek and save the lost. And we see his character. We see what moves him, what stirs him. We see, we see what he is, who God is, he reveals to us. And they show us these miracles, they show us things about ourselves, not just about this man and his son and his family, but as we look at this story, we look at this account, it shows us some things about ourselves too. It shows us our state of sin. The sins that we have committed, the sin that we are born into, it shows us the state of stuckness that we are in, in our own sin and in our death. It shows us our place, our, our sense of, our state of helplessness. By, by nature, we are people who need help. We need a savior. The whole cultural kind of manifesto around you says you have everything within you that you need to have a full, comfortable, fulfilled life. It's just pull out from what was inside you and live your life. Fulfill your destiny. You can do anything you set your mind to, and yet don't we end up consistently frustrated because we find there are great limitations in myself. There are limitations in you. You can't be as good as you know you need to be. You can't fulfill all the promise that you sense within you. You cannot be all that you need to be or want to be. You and I are in a state of helplessness, of of neediness. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to be needy. That's why when a clerk walks up to me in a store and I am desperately looking for something that I don't know where it is and they ask me if I need help, I will often say, no, I'm all right. Why? I don't want to admit my neediness, my help. Something inside me says I should be enough in myself. But these parables, these these stories, these miracles show us that in ourselves we're actually incredibly needy. And they also show us the things that block our faith in Jesus. And this story shows us all those things. It puts them all on display. It shows us Jesus, his character, his divinity, his authority, his mission, and his motivation. But there's something that, that he zeroes in on this 
story in, with this man, this man with this sick child. He zeroes in on faith. There's nothing that seems to get Jesus' attention like faith. Over and over again, when we see Jesus interacting with people, we see him respond to the most unlikely people in the most unlikely ways, and it says over and over again, he did so because of their faith. It's the thing that he actually criticizes people about. He criticizes people about their hypocrisy, but he all the time he is criticizing people, he's urging people, he's exhorting them, you need to have more faith. Believe in me. So what does this story with this man and the Jesus' return to Galilee, what does it tell us about faith? Well, the first thing that we see is a, a lack of unreserved faith in Jesus. A lack of unreserved faith in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, causes us to miss him. A lack of unreserved faith in Jesus causes us to miss him. So this is what's happening in the story. Jesus has just come off, we were there about a month ago, so it's, if you don't remember, that's totally understandable, that Jesus is coming off a, a trip through Samaria. Now, Samaria, Samaria and the Samaritans, were, Samaria was a place that a Jewish leader particularly would never go, and the Samaritans were a people that the Jews looked down upon and would never communicate with because they did not worship God in the right way. They were a mixed people that didn't worship God in the right way. And yet, when Jesus goes to Samaria, he sits at the well, and he interacts with the woman there. The woman begins to believe this might be the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the Savior. She runs to her village, tells everybody. They all come out to him, and it says that they listened to him, and many, many believed in him. And in fact, so much so that they asked him to stay for a couple more days. And they, then they went to the woman afterwards, and they said, Oh, we don't believe in him any longer just because you said he told you things about yourself that nobody else knows. We believe in him we, because we've heard him and met him ourselves. We believe that he is the savior of the world. The Samaritans received Jesus in that way. Unreserved faith in him as the savior. And then it says in verse 43, after two days, he departed for Galilee. That's, that's Jesus' home region. It would be like saying that Jesus came back to Ori County, because I'm from Ori County. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Jesus returns to his home area, and John, what he does here is he contrasts the way that the Samaritans responded to Jesus with the way Jesus' own people, the Galileans, responded to Jesus. Neither of them responded in the way that we would expect. The Samaritans were people who didn't believe all the word of God, didn't follow all of God's ways, and yet when Jesus shows up, they meet him and they say, this is the Savior of the world. They, res they respond to him, giving full faith in him as the Savior of the world. Yet he comes to Gal back to Galilee, and they say, oh, welcome back. You did a lot of really cool things. Would you do some more cool things for us? You see the difference there? The Samaritans, Jesus doesn't, it's not even recorded. I don't know if he did or not, but it's not recorded that he did a single miracle in Samaria except to tell the woman things about her life that nobody else would have known. 
Yeah, the Galileans had seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle in Jerusalem. But yet the Samaritans believed that he is the Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the Galileans said, hey, look, that's uh, Joseph and Mary's son. He did some cool things in Jerusalem. Hey, would you come and do some more cool things here? You have the Samaritans and the Galileans. And then you have, I just want to highlight another group altogether that's not mentioned in this passage. These are the ones who didn't believe in Jesus, nor did they bother with him. The Samaritans believed in Jesus, unlikely group. The Galileans, his own people, who you would think would believe in him, said, hey, he's, we acknowledge he's doing some cool things, but they didn't put their unreserved faith in him as Lord and Savior. But then you have a whole other group together who's not mentioned here because they neither give attention to Jesus, they don't bother him, or even believe in him. They dismiss him altogether. Can you imagine Jesus being in your hometown and you miss him? Not only do you not believe in him, but you miss him altogether. The savior of the whole world, right in your midst, walking past your door, and yet you totally miss him, just like many of us do today. Because we're too distracted, too divided, too focused on other things to even see that he's in our midst. And it's the same condition that causes you and me to miss him. The people who aren't here, that aren't even paying attention to him, you know why they don't pay attention to Jesus? You know why they don't come out to him like even this man does in this story with his faulty and, and low, little faith? You know what causes them to stay in their houses, stay in their businesses, stay in the temple and not pay any attention to Jesus who's passing by? They might even be in the local synagogue reading scripture and the living word of God is walking past the door, walking down the road, out just outside, just feet away from them and they miss him. And you know what causes them to miss him just like the same thing that causes you and me to miss him? It's our own goodness and our own comfort. See, it's the people who are convinced that they're pretty good and they are comfortable with their lives and the way that they live and who they are that miss Jesus and don't even pay attention to him walking by outside their door. It's those people who can be in a service like this today and Jesus Christ be in our midst and spend, be almost verbally crying out to us and, and crying out to us from the word, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you water that you'll never thirst again. Come to me, all who are hungry. Come to me, everyone, for you'll find I am meek and gentle and lowly of heart. Come to me and find rest for your souls. Come to me and find forgiveness for your sins. Come to me and find wholeness. Come to me and find the Lord and the King that you've been looking for who, doesn't, who totally miss him in a service like this simply because we are too distracted by our own goodness and our own comfort. The Galileans, notice what they said about Jesus. Other people who, again, who would think they would be ready to believe in him. They were Jews. They were God's chosen people. Down from Abraham, the father of faith. He had his word full of promises that he would send the Messiah to save them from their sin. They knew those promises. As a Jewish child, you would have to learn many, many of these promises. And they knew because of the sacrificial system, 
Because the blood of goats and bulls had to be offered for them daily, weekly, and yearly to take care of their sin, to cover their sin, they knew that there were sinners in need of a Savior. And yet John says they welcomed him, but not like the Samaritans had. They had, the Galileans had, reserved faith in Jesus, which is really no faith at all. A reserved faith, like many of us who believe certain things about Jesus. They believe that Jesus had done these miracles. We don't hear them like the people who just dis- dismissed him or stuck in their houses or the synagogue. We, we, we don't hear them doubting that Jesus did many miracles. They just didn't see these miracles as signs pointing to him being the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah that they were waiting for, the Savior that they needed. They remained skeptical. They didn't give themselves over without reserve to him. I think this is a place that many, many of us, many Americans, many people who carry the label Christian in the South, many, maybe even many of us in this room, a number of us in this room, I think this is a, a camp that many of us fall in. We believe in general things about Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church. You've become a Christian family, and you, if I pressed you to ask you, yeah, I believe in the Bible, I believe in Christianity, I believe in Jesus, but it's with a reserve. It's a healthy skepticism. There's sort of a, a distance, an arm's length that you keep between you and Jesus. Like these Galileans, they didn't give them over, they didn't give themselves over to Jesus without any reserve. They kept a part of themselves back. Hey, I'd like to see if Jesus is going to do some more cool things. Are you going to come? Are you coming back? Are you going to turn water into wine again? That's pretty cool. We're going to have an unlimited party. You could do some more of those healings that you did in Jerusalem. That would be awesome. I got this limp, you see. I got this cough that won't go away. I got this aunt who has this continual condition. C- come and show us some more of that cool stuff that you did. But I'm not going to bow to you as Lord. I'm going to, not going to acknowledge you as king. I'm keeping part of myself back because I'm afraid of what the repercussions are if I give myself totally to you, Jesus. They were interested in him because they wanted to see wonders. They found Jesus interesting, helpful, and entertaining. I think that's a camp many of us fall in. You find Jesus interesting. I'll come to church. I'll join a Bible study. I'll learn about Jesus. He's interesting enough. I find Jesus helpful. Man, whenever I'm thinking the chips are down, I like to be able to think that I can pray to somebody who's really there. I find him entertaining. I go to church because it's interesting enough to keep my attention for an hour or so. But yet there was no, in these Galileans, just like you in that condition, there's no trustful connection or attachment to him as your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord. See, they could say that they're people of faith. They were religious. 
They believed in the miracles that Jesus, that Jesus did could be true, but they didn't see those miracles again as signs of who he was and didn't see the necessity that the signs were pointing to. If this is the Christ, if this is the Son of God, if this is the Savior of the world, then not only does he come to offer you really cool things, but he comes to you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is an inherent demand that you bow your knee to him as such, that you give all of your life to him, as we just sang, unreservedly, without any condition. Not, hey, Jesus, I will believe in you, I will come to you, as long as you check these boxes, as long as you don't cross this sort of line, as long as you don't do this, as long as I I don't have to believe this or follow this. No, unreservedly, even the things that I don't understand, even the things I don't agree with, I'm going to bow to you as King and Lord because that is who you are and this is who I am, creation before its creator. You see, faith isn't a thing in yourself. You're not just a a person of faith because you're a religious person. Faith has an object. Faith isn't simply believing a set of things like, I believe some things about the Bible or about the divinity of Christ or something like that. Faith is an object. It's an unreserved trust or belief in something, or rather, in this case, someone. Even the Galileans that welcomed Jesus they miss the Savior. They miss God. Well, he was right there. Just like many of you are right now. What is your faith in? What have you given yourself over to without reserve, without condition? Do you have a reserved faith in Jesus? Like a contract with a lot of clauses that give you outs? Because a reserved faith is really no faith at all. But then John tells us about how a man, one man responds differently in the middle of this area of Galilee. Someone that can give you and me hope because this, uh, this is a royal official who shows us a faulty or a weak faith. And the encouraging message and the way that Jesus responds The attention that he gives to this man is that even little or faulty faith wins the attention of Jesus. Even little or faulty faith wins the attention of Jesus. It says Jesus came again in verse 46. He came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. At Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. That was some miles away. It was a pretty pretty big journey for this locale. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him, he journeyed to him, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. In in this setting of Galilee, Jesus' own people who, don't, who welcome him to, to show them some signs, but not as Lord and King, this man shows up and he has a request for Jesus. It's a burning request. He is in dire trouble. His son, his precious son is sick. I just wanna, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about what that would be like to be that man in that situation. Think about what led him to this point. His son had gotten sick. 
Maybe he thought he's going to get better, but he's only getting worse. He, he, he's an official. He's a, probably a, a royal official and, and connected to Herod. He, and he calls physicians. He calls helpers. They all come in. He calls as many people as he could. He's got servants. He's a wealthy, important, powerful man. He calls them in. Help me. Help my son. And nothing seems to help. He's stuck. He's in trouble. And then he hears Jesus has come back to Galilee. He says, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go up. I've heard he's done a lot of miracles. I'm going to go up to him and ask him if he would help. I'm going to beg him and plead. In fact, I'm sure he left saying this. I'm not coming home without Jesus to see if he'll help us. And when he comes and he asks Jesus, will you come and help my child? Jesus gives him a tough answer. It's addressed to him and all his neighbors, everybody in Galilee. He says, you're all just seeking signs, miracles, but you'll never believe. How about this man? This man, there's something going on in him that's a little bit different than his neighbors, a little bit different about everybody else. There's something that's stirring him. He's in real trouble, and there's something that, that gets him going. When Jesus says that, he doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to go away, dejected, I'm going to turn away. No, he does something that gets Jesus' attention. Jesus sees faith in this man. How did that faith happen? How did this man, and when a ramp surrounded by those who do not believe, who kind of hold Jesus at arms, like, what is going on in this man that breeds faith? What we see is that you see that this man is in the soil of faith. What kind of soil does faith grow in? What kind of soil faith grows in? It doesn't grow in comfort. It grows in trouble like this man is in. It's in the soil of trouble that faith can grow. I have a great trouble. Maybe it's from within. I'm racked with fear and anxiety. I'm tortured by my past. I can't seem to get over it. No one around me understands the pain that I'm in inside. Chemicals, a pill, this or that, they, they numb it. Distractions can take my focus from it, but it always rushes back in. It crushes me. I feel it's going to overwhelm and overcome me. Or maybe it's a different kind of problem, a different kind of trouble. Like this man, sickness, disease, injury threaten you or somebody very close to you. And suddenly you find your career turned on its head. Maybe the future that you had planned is in jeopardy. You made, or you made a momentary decision that has lasting, difficult repercussions. You're facing the unthinkable. You feel yourself sinking. You can't stop it. You can't fix it. You need help. You're in trouble. It's in that condition. It's in that kind of soil that faith can grow. When you realize I'm in trouble and I need help. That's the second thing. Trouble and need. Those are the conditions. Those are the soil of faith. Not just that you have trouble, but that you have, that you have need. Let's say, for example, you receive an unexpected bill for $800. Well, that would be trouble. For me, some of you, that would not be trouble at all, right? You're like, I don't even know if I'd been down for $800. It's a waste of my time, but not in my household, not from, not from where I sit. $800 bill would be a pretty big unexpected bill. Now, but let's say, example, you got that $800 unexpected bill, but you happen to have just got in $1,000 from some unexpected source. Well, that $800 bill, that's, that's a trouble, but you got money to cover it and some to spare. You're, it might be a disappointment, but you're going to be okay. 
But now what if you get that $800 medical bill and your account is already negative $22? Now you're in trouble and you have need. That's the soil that faith grows in. When you have trouble and you don't have any answer in yourself. You see, if our goodness and our comfort cause us to miss Jesus, then it's trouble and need that cause us to seek him out like this man. There were many in Israel, maybe a majority of people that missed Jesus while their own creator walked past their doors, but this man was troubled and needy, and it was people like him that ran out to find Jesus. It's those people who are in trouble and are aware of their great need that cry out to him, that come out to him, even though he looked ordinary, even though he had no trappings of success or power or wealth, even though there was nothing that he possessed that looked like he was somebody to come to, yet they saw a glimmer of hope in him and they came out to him in their trouble and their need in that soil of faith and they ran out and reached out to him for help. Are you in trouble? Do you need, are you aware of your trouble and your need? See, not everybody who is in trouble and need then reach out in faith. What are the, if that's the soil that faith grows in, what are the elements of faith? What are the elements of faith that we see here? Well, the first element that we see is desperation. This man was desperate. He was in trouble and is in need, and he had nothing else to help. His son was dying, and the only hope he could think of, the only hope he had, was if Jesus could come and help him. We had no reason to think he had any connection to Jesus before this. It doesn't seem that he followed him in any way. Perhaps he had heard of all that Jesus had been doing somewhere, all the miracles. Maybe somebody he knew had been healed. Maybe he had been in Jerusalem and he had seen Jesus. But I don't know what it was that led him to this point. He didn't know what to think of him leading up to this point. He was going about his day-to-day life. But here in this moment, when trouble and need were engulfing him and surrounding him, when his precious son fell ill and his connections proved fruitless, his wealth was of no use, all of a sudden this Jesus would seem remote before, all of a sudden he filled him as his only hope and he reaches out in desperation to the only one he can think of to help him. Do you hear the desperation in his voice? Jesus says, he comes in and says, please come and help my child. He says, you all don't believe in me. He says, please come. He's going to die. Do you feel his desperation? Not only was he desperate, but his, his need and his trouble led him to a place of desperation. But then we see really faith begin to grow in him, and we see daring. It's not the daring of the brave. It's the daring of those who are desperate. It's not the daring of someone who feels that they deserve help. It's the daring of somebody who, he, when he comes to Jesus and he needs help, and Jesus says, Sorry, none of you believe in me. And he turns, you can almost picture him, turning to go away. He is daring to say back to Jesus, would you please come? He's going to die. And what he says, he doesn't say, hey, I'm a royal official. I need you to come. I'm an important man. Do you know who I am? He doesn't say, hey, my son is a good kid. I need you to come. He deserves this. What does he appeal to? He only appeals to the mercy and the goodness and the graciousness of Jesus. That's faith. 
Faith doesn't say, hey, I deserve this. This person deserves this. Look at what I've done. Faith simply looks at the object. Remember, it rests upon an object and says, in you alone is goodness and grace and mercy. And I believe if I just appeal to your goodness, to your grace and your mercy, you'll come through because that is who you are. Faith was growing inside him. He was desperate. But he wasn't just grabbing like a, some desperate man in the dark. The more he is around Jesus, the more he saw there's something in him. I believe if I appeal to his compassion, if I be, appeal to his love, to his goodness, to his grace, which is, which is goodness towards those who don't deserve anything better, if I appeal to that, I believe he will help me. He says, Jesus, don't you remember basically saying, don't you remember that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? I am not deserving but don't you, aren't you God? Don't you have the nature and character of God within you? I am appealing to that. That's what he's really saying. Faith in itself isn't commendable. It's only faith that has a great object that's powerful. He didn't just believe, I believe my son can be made well. He believed that Jesus held all power and goodness and was gracious. Look at what links this man's faith led him to. He traveled to Jesus. He called out to him. He didn't make, take no for an answer. And then we see something beautiful. This faulty faith that Jesus said, hey, you guys don't believe in me unless I'll do a sign. Yet Jesus is moved as he calls out to him. He's moved with compassion. And we see Jesus meets us in our little faulty Desperate, daring faith. Yet he isn't just interested in just helping our need, which we ask for help. He's showing, it says this is the second sign that he performed. He's showing who he is. Look at the attributes of Jesus that are displayed here. He is compassionate. He has all knowledge, all power, all authority. He himself is sufficient. He, again, he doesn't have to perform any sort of deal. He doesn't, have to make, he doesn't even have to come and touch the boy. He just says he is well. And look at what happens to this official when he hears the words of Jesus. Nothing changes when Jesus says, go he will be healed. Nothing in this man's circumstances change. But he hears the word of Jesus and he counts Jesus to be trustworthy and real and true and he believes. He doesn't believe that just that Jesus could help but he believes in the person of Jesus. He doesn't just trust Jesus' word, he trusts him and because of that he trusts his word even though no sign is performed as he talks to Jesus there. There's no shaft of light, no thunder from heaven. All he has is the word of Jesus, but he believes that to be enough because he believes Jesus. All of a sudden, he believes Jesus to be enough. Previously, on his way there, even in beginning to talk with Jesus, he thought Jesus had to come to his house and, and, and be in his house, touch his child in order for him to be healed. But yet now he hears Jesus speak to him and it breeds a greater faith inside him. And he, something happens, he simply trusts Jesus. It forced him to grapple with what he actually believed about Jesus. And he believes You see, the boy's sickness was a great need. 
It was incredibly heartbreaking to see. Whatever need that you're in, that you're facing, maybe it's you, a loved one, that you would, that you would come to Jesus with. Those are incredibly heartbreaking and difficult I don't know how Jesus will respond in each, of those, in each of those situations if he will heal him like he did this man's son. But what this example is showing us is that this sickness in this child was a symptom of the deeper need that the boy and his dad and everyone everywhere has. It's just at the times of trouble that we feel our great need. We miss the extent of it. Sometimes we may escape that feeling of crisis, but we can't escape the true crisis. Your scans may become back clear. Your bank account may improve, but the great problem underneath all those problems remains. Death hangs over you. Guilt lies within you. Cosmic loneliness is wrapped around you. Right now, Jesus... The son of Nazareth, the peasant carpenter, is asking you, who do you say I am? Do you believe I am the savior of the world? Are you willing to trust me, sign or no sign, miracle or no miracle? See, there are many Galileans who received a miracle who didn't believe. But this man in his desperate situation Trust in Jesus, not just as the man who could heal his son. Praise the Lord that happened. But he trusted him as his Savior and Lord. And it led, it tells us, to his whole household believing in Jesus. What gets Jesus' attention? A faith that reaches out to him alone as our only source of good, our only help in our need. A faith that trusts his heart and his ability to save, and a faith that trusts his word above our circumstances. As we close, I want to ask you a couple questions today. What do you come to Jesus for today? Do you come to him in trouble and in need? What are you coming to him for today? Are you holding part of that need back? Are you reserving part of yourself? Are you coming, bringing all that you are and all the needs that you have to him, trusting in him to take care of you? What do you seek from him? And who is he to you? Is he the savior of the world, your Lord and king? Or is he something else? Come to him today as your savior and as your Lord. I'm going to pray and the team is going to come forward for communion. Uh, the band's going to come up as well and play. We're going to be two stations, one on each side. You'll come forward on the outside. You'll receive the bread and the juice. Go back to your seats. And then uh, Justin will come up and lead us in communion together. Now, Father, we thank you that in Christ we have all that we need. We thank you that you offer yourself unreservedly to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to offer ourselves back to you unreservedly. Lord, many of us have weak and faulty faith like this man. Lord, I pray that you would grow faith in us, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. That some of us here, we don't have any faith at all. We've held ourselves 
apart from you. Christ, I pray that your word and by your spirit you would break through that today. That any person who is here in that situation would find faith growing in their heart even at this moment, like this man did, to cry out to you in their desperate need and find that you are gentle and lowly of heart and that you will not cast them out, but you'll always bring them in. Show them that today, Lord, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen.